Your style is unorthodox, but effective. It is not the art, but the combat that you enjoy. Man, you come right out of a comic book. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. Black 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 Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. We are live on Black Comics Chat. Black Comics Chat. Hi, this is Anthony Rutgazer. I'm the writer of The First Hero and Heroes of Homeroom C, and you are listening to Black Comics Chat. Hi, this is Regine Al Sawyer, owner, writer, creator of Lock It Down Productions and the coordinator and founder of the Women in Comics Collective International. You are now listening to Black Comics Chat. That's your first one. <laughs> Welcome. This is uh, Anthony again, uh, Latin Negro over for Black Comics Chat, and we're speaking to the creators of Promethe. Um, I'll have them introduce themselves, and then we can have a conversation. So, introduce yourselves, tell us who you are, and your role in this book. Uh, hello, I'm Andy Diggle. I'm the writer of Promethe 1313, amongst other things. Hey, I'm Jock, and I did the covers. And I'm uh, Will Dennis. I'm the editor. Awesome, awesome. So tell me a little bit about, uh, it's Promethe? Promethe, yeah, it's French for Prometheus. Okay, okay. It's based on a, it's, there's a very popular French graphic novel series called Prometheus uh, by Christophe Beck, or Promethe in French. But we couldn't call it Prometheus over here because everybody's going to think it's the Ridley Scott movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But it makes it sound a, li a little pretentious, giving it that little French accent as well. You know, so it makes us look classy. Uh, yeah, no, it's a very popular science fiction uh, uh, series in French. It's kind of like up to about, I think, 17 volumes now or something okay. like that. Uh, and Will approached me uh, a year or two back, I guess it was, to, to ask if, uh, if I'd be interested in doing not exactly a, a prequel or a sequel, but a kind of like a sort of a shorter parallel story that would kind of lead people into this very wide, sprawling story uh, from Christoph's original series. Okay. All right. Um, and what is uh, Promethe about exactly? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's not... Well, okay, it's... It's uh, it's a kind of like X Files, ancient aliens conspiracy story, but it has dozens of characters and spans thousands of years. It basically oh. kind of jumps around in time and encapsulates like the whole of human history. So it's a kind of a lot to get your head around. Okay. okay. Which is another reason why uh, we wanted to try and do a fairly self-contained story that would kind of give you glimpses of this this huge world that Christoph's created. But you can't you couldn't encapsulate the whole thing in 100 pages because there's just too much story there. <laughs> but hopefully it'll intrigue people enough to go want to go and seek out the original stuff. Well, stories are fun. Um, so, what was your inspiration to create this series, to write the series? Well, Comixology and Delcourt like partnered up to sort of figure out a way to because Comixology was doing all the digital versions of these. You know, like I said, there's about 17 volumes, maybe, and they're they're big. You know, they're like hundreds, a couple hundred pages. I mean, it's a lot of material. And so they were like, well, if we can find do a story that would, as you said, like kind of open it up to people to, to discover this wider thing, you know. But they wanted to get a team together that was more well known in, you know, like kind of English language, American, UK sort of comics, you know. So then that was just, but I knew with this, the subject matter and all, you know, we wanted some kind of action-y, 
vibe to it, but we also wanted sort of the brains and interesting, you know, human drama, which, I mean, Andy, to me, is like, there's very few people, I think, who can balance those two things quite as well, you know? And then Sean Martinborough, who's the artist, had been, um, I think, around the same time, enlisted around the same time, and these guys had done Thief of Thieves together, right? and then we'd done The Losers years ago, like, Sean had been one of the sort of fill-in artists like early on in the loser so yeah they started to just get the team together and jock was like willing to do the covers and dave stewart who's like a you know one of the best colorists in comics like ever probably came on so it was you know it was kind of cool like we'll get together a really good band of you know creators and hopefully drive some people to this material okay um, how's it like working for, for Comixology? This is sort of a, a new thing now. Um, Comixology is producing these, these books. Um, is there a sort of a difference when working with any other companies? I've found it really easy going, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, uh, I didn't know what to expect going in. I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of what they do is kind of, uh, it's kind of digitally republishing, you know, stuff from the big two, mm -hmm. you know, so you can just kind of download it straight to your, your iPad or whatever, which is great. As so I've been kind of reading Hickman's X-Men stuff. And <laughs> every no. Wednesday morning, first thing I do, like, oh, hey, it's on my iPad. Uh -huh. I love it. Um, but in terms of like creating new original material, which is what this Comixology Originals is all about, yeah. they seem just absolutely wide open to, to like letting people do what they want to do. You know, you can you do create your own work, you get paid for it, and you own it. Wow! You know, and you get to wow. you get to reach this kind of huge global audience. Like you know, like anybody who reads anybody who's got like an Amazon Prime subscription or a Kindle yeah. Unlimited subscription, they can read these originals. Uh, comics for free mm -hmm. and the, uh, the Amazon algorithm will kind of put stuff up in your feed if you've read something similar that you've enjoyed yeah. so it kind of it's it kind of like it, it just opens it up to a whole new audience I think which is great you know I you know, I, I love comics, and I want to put them in the hands of everybody. You know, not just not just the you know the Wednesday comics crowd kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I've never been a very good fit in the whole kind of big two superhero universe anyway, because I didn't <laughs> grow up with that stuff myself. You know, okay. I'm, I'm kind of my influences tend to come more from you know like books and cinema and stuff like that. And so, I like yeah, I like working in, in kind of genres that you get everywhere else than in the comic shop. You know, and it kind of feels like a, a very good fit for that. You know, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna inundate them with like uh, more pitches next year. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of moving in, backing up yeah, the track to come. There's definitely, like, uh, I was personally surprised at, like, the lack of editorial interference, you know, from them. Like, Chip Mosier sort of runs the program, and he's, like, kind of put us all together and sort of oversees stuff and helps just kind of, like, a managing editor role in a lot of ways, just in terms of keeping, you know, the trains running on time. But otherwise, like, we're not getting... I mean, I worked at DC for 16 years, and I had a lot of freedom, you know, I worked for Karen Berger at Vertigo for that long, and I had a lot of things, but, you know, there were definitely days when you were like, you know, we got to fix this because of that, or you can't do this, or, you know, not so much in Vertigo, but when I would dabble in, like, the superhero world just occasionally, like, it was a lot more sort of, you know, directives and things from on high, which we don't really deal with that much at all. And then we're sending all the stuff to Delcor, like the original series editor um, and the creator, like they see all of the material as it's created, you know, and approve it all so that we're all sort of on the same page. And that's been great too. Like I, I definitely had some reservations about like having everything approved by the originator of the series. Because, you know, I mean, it's like their baby and he's been working on it for 
20 years himself probably, right? I mean, a long time. Um, and he's been great. He's just been, like, totally, like, enthusiastic and super responsive. And So, yeah, so far, knock on wood, it's been, you know, pretty smooth. It's been great. It's been, like, no backseat driving at all, you know. And, like, yeah, just I just told him just now to Jean, the, the editor of the, the French series, and, you know, like, his, his feedback is, yeah, it's great, do that. Mm. That's, the, that's the kind of editorial feedback you want. Well, that's what I've been hearing, that there has been such a freedom with, with uh, comicsology and creators, and I think that that's refreshing uh, in this industry. Um, in terms of the art, is it, are, are we drawing it differently, or is it a different way because it's digital, or, or is it it's still sort of drawing it on paper, scanning it in? Well, you kind of I mean, work digitally anyway for the most part, don't you? Um, not not comic pages. I mean, I'm, I'm only doing the covers. You know, Sean Martinborough is doing, doing the interior. Um, um, I mean, it didn't really change that much for me. I, 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 I think I think when the nuts and bolts of making a comic are basically the same, no matter no matter what the sort of delivery is, yeah, you know. Right. Um, I think Will was saying there, there was a few, you know, a, a few things to bear in mind, you know, with the comicsology guided view and that, and that kind of stuff. But but, but generally speaking, um, uh, the, the approach is kind of similar, really. It's it's just, it's just exciting to have comicsology behind it, and and you know, and therefore Amazon as well, and. You know, to get this stuff into people's hands that might not have seen it otherwise, you know, that's that to me is is uh, is the exciting part of this, you know. So, but the, but the actual approach to the work isn't really that that different. So, if uh, anyone was trying to be a part of uh, Comicsology Originals, um, is what's the pitch like? Are you pitching? You have to have your own team, or is it one person pitching? I think the way it works is that uh, because Amazon's such a huge company, they yeah. they don't deal directly with individual freelancers on a book. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to basically put your, like register yourself as a limited company, oh, uh, and then okay. they will they will make a deal with that company. Okay. And then so in my case, you know, when I do create our own stuff, mm -hmm. it, you know, I create my own company, and then. They, I, I then subcontract, you know, I write it and then I subcontract out the artwork and the lettering and the colouring and so on. So, okay. so, it all, so it means I have to kind of put on a, a slightly more respectable publisher hat rather than just okay. Okay. making it up as I go along writer hat, you know. Uh, which I must admit, I, that's the side of it I find slightly daunting, but it's actually pretty straightforward. Okay. And all the, all the kind of creators that I've been talking to about doing this stuff are all like, yeah, no, it's, it's all fine, it's all good, it works very smoothly. They do this print-on-demand thing as well. One of the things I wasn't sure about was how that was going to work out, mm -hmm. but I was talking to Richard Starkins about this in San Diego. He just got the print-on-demand copies of his, his comicsology graphic novel through, and he was, his feedback was, I love it, it's perfect, I have zero criticisms of this kind of thing. Like, well, again, that's the kind of feedback you want, you know, so... Mm. They, you know, they, there may be hidden downsides, but I haven't found them yet. Mm. You know, and I have been asking around. So, you know, it's, it all seems pretty good. You know, it's amazing. Okay, uh, going back to Promethe, is this an ongoing series? It's a limited maxi series. How, how is this working out? Uh, our story is basically just like a, a 96-page OGN, effectively, like a digital OGN, which we're kind of breaking up into chapters uh, okay. as, as, as they as they come out. But in France, it's going to be published as a, a sort of single hardback volume. Uh, like because that's the original series. It was like 96 page hardback volumes, and there's like set like 17 of them now, or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and they wanted to be able to fit in with that format. But of course, because we're publishing digitally over here in, in English language, that gives us the flexibility to kind of break it up and okay. uh, and sort of give people a chapter at a time. If that's because I think you know American readers especially are more used to reading in that kind of format. But if people want to buy the whole thing in one go when it's when it's out, then they can. You know? so okay. it's, it's a, it, I think the nice thing about digital is it gives you that flexibility. You know, you, know, you don't have to, you don't have to you know, fit to a particular format. But I, mean, I really like, I really like uh, 
OGN format anyway. You know, like I tend, I've, I'm not very good at long form stories, you know, and multi strand stories. You know, I like to have a beginning, middle, and end. It's probably because I've got the attention span of a toddler, you know. <laughs> well, once, you know, I want to get it done and then move on to the next thing, you know, the next, get distracted by the next shiny object. Understood, you know? understood. But yeah, it is cool because you don't really have to write to like a set page count or something, right? Okay. So, like, okay. we broke up this first one into the second issue, I think it's only like 19 or maybe 20 story pages. Mm-hmm. Now, normally, because of the signatures of like a printed comic book, like you couldn't, you couldn't, that's too few pages to print, you know? So we would have had to then run around and fill out like 12 pages essentially of back matter and stuff like that, which is fun and fans like that kind of stuff, but sometimes it just feels like filler, you know, a lot of that, that stuff. But because, you know, we're just like, well, right, let's just, these are the pages, like, let's just do these pages. That's where the story or the scene ends or the story, the cliffhanger happens. Like, just do that. You know, you don't have to be like, it's 22 pages and then you've got, you know, that kind of stuff. So that was kind of cool that we could just sort of, you know, wrap it like where it felt like it wanted to wrap itself up and not just some sort of artificial thing. It occurs to me it's a bit like what's happening with kind of like streaming TV these days, you yes. know, where like the actual length of an episode yeah, varies. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. They, they don't have to, like, you know, network TV, they've got to fit, have, you know, the act breaks exactly where the ads are supposed to go, and it's yeah. kind of very rigid format. Uh, whereas if it's streaming, they don't have to worry about that. They can just tell each episode. And some episodes, you know, they'll be like, you know, one episode might be 10 minutes longer or shorter than the previous one. Yeah. You know, and I think that, again, we, we, you know, in digital, you've got that flexibility to just kind of let, let, let the story move at its own pace, you know. It's great. Plus, and you don't have to cut down trees and fill it with ads as well, you know, so it's all good. I'm not one of those purists who's kind of like, oh, I understand like having a book in your hand. Yeah. Like like a novel, I like to have a book in my hand. But with comics, they just look so good on a screen. They do. Like you always say, they're kind of made of light. Yeah. Yeah, They just look terrific. So, yeah, I I, I kind of, it does feel like the future, you know, it's going to be a part of it. Okay. Well, um, for I'm, not those... getting, I'm not getting paid to say all this. Book. Oh, I understand. <laughs> I, like understand. I, I, I don't understand. have shares not in comicsology. <laughs> so, uh, for any of those who are, are really interested in this book, please check it out. It is on Comicsology. Um, do you all have social media? Can people follow you? Yeah, Twitter's the place to find me. That's what I do when I'm supposed to be working. Oh. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just Andy Diggle on Twitter. Okay. I'm Jock420, uh, number 420, and that's not a weed reference, by the way. <laughs> right. Sure. <laughs> uh, no, I don't really have a social media presence that's worth following. <laughs> do you have an anti-social media presence? <laughs> uh, I, I, I just, it's too much for me. It's all good. Thank you so much. This is great. Thank you. I'm very interested in this. Cool. And I will make sure that we'll push push it. Great, man. Thank you. Thank you. One, two, one, two. What's up? This is Anthony Otero, Latin Negro, representing Black Comics Chat. And we are talking to Alex Segura, Mm -hmm. uh, writer of... The Black Ghost. The Black Ghost. We just talked about the name, and I just blanks. I'm so sorry. It's on Comixology. How are you? I'm good. Good. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, let's talk about Black Ghost. Yeah. So the high concept of the Black Ghost is uh, our main character is Laura Dominguez, who's a journalist from Miami, uh, Cuban-American. She moves to this city, Creighton, which is a fictional city, kind of in homage to places like Central City, Gotham City, like a little little hat tip to that, um, after the death of her brother, who was murdered. Um, and she she's a cops reporter at this newspaper that's fading away, um, but she's become obsessed with the Black Ghost, who's kind of the vigilante of Creighton. He's, uh, he's like their, that city's Batman. The, mm. the one thing stopping the tide of corruption and evil that's taking over the city. Um, 
I can talk about this now because the first issue is out, but she gets a tip from lo for, from this hacker contact that's been feeding her intel mm -hmm. to uh, to suss out this drug deal going down in the docks, and the black ghost shows up. He gets shot, and he's dead. So now that the, the one person helping the city stay away from corruption is gone, she has to see if she can shift her obsession about this guy into actually becoming the hero. Wow. So it's 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 a mix of like noir PI stuff that I do. I write novels, like crime novels, um, but also superhero tropes like the fictional city, legacy heroes, uh, stuff like that. So it, it's been a fun like mishmash of things we love. Mm -hmm. That that sounds amazing. Awesome. That yeah. sounds amazing. So um, where did you get this concept from? Like where? Well, you know, um, Monica Gallagher, the co-writer, and I worked on this podcast called Lethal Lit for mm -hmm. iHeart, and it was a YA crime podcast. Uh, and so we, we got really jazzed working together when we found that we really complemented each other well. Um, and I had this rough idea for a vigilante book comic series, because those are the, the street-level comics are the ones I really get into as a fan, like Daredevil, Batman, yeah, Batwoman, yeah, yeah. Um, stuff with a little more realism and crime to it. Um, but I wanted to flip the script a little bit and not show the established hero, but show how maybe a random person with some of the tools could become a hero mm. um, and overcome their own problems to do that, which mm. I find really interesting. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of characters that are just one note, you know, invincible, great heroes. Um, <laughs> I want to see how you overcome your problems to be a hero. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's where, uh, I think for me, when I look at Spider-Man, you know, and how that's sort of written in terms of he's Peter Parker first. Yeah. And there's that that human level as opposed to, you know, we're looking at Batman. Well, he's Batman first and then Bruce Wayne. And yeah. And there's with, a different way of looking at it. And yeah. Peter Parker, like, his doing good as Spider-Man takes him away from being yes. Peter Parker. Like, right. he misses dates. He can't be there for his Aunt May. And that, that conflict is something yeah. we explore, too. Right. So, um, how's it working for uh, Comicsology? It's good. It's great. You know, I've been in comics for a long time. I, I'm the co-president at Archie. I've worked okay. at DC. I've done a lot of different things. And Comicsology has been a dream. Just very open to ideas, really supportive. So, I keep hearing that. Great. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> good. It's great. I have no complaints. Okay. And uh, the art of the book, who, who is drawing uh, Black uh, The artist is George Cambadeus, who... Uh, you know, it's funny, I say this not as a... It's a compliment. Uh, when I first saw his art, I was like, this doesn't strike me as, like, your typical prime noir. It's got this very animated, almost batman animated series vibe to it. And then once I looked at it from that perspective and how it contrasted our very dark story, it actually worked really well. Like, he brings a different flavor to it, and he's so dynamic and fast. His page layouts are really creative, and he takes notes so well. So it's been... I have no... You know, nothing bad to say about anyone I'm working with. It's great. Of course, of yeah, course. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when when you're sort of talking to 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 him about sort of the layouts, uh, how is that relationship? I know that you know the relationship between writer and artist are very important. Yeah. You know, did, did he get exactly what you're trying to do? Yeah, it was amazing because when we first reached out to him and I said, "Here's the pitch. Are you into it?" Oh, Twenty okay. minutes later, he sent me character designs, and they were like really spot on. Like not what I visualized in my head, but it, it was what it should be. You know, like you your collaborators, you want them to not just do what you want, but also add to. To the story yeah. um, and we actually work quote unquote Marvel style so Monica mm -hmm. and I will write a page breakdown that's pretty detailed like we need this to happen on each page here's some dialogue and then he breaks it down the way he wants and then we layer in the dialogue after that 
Wow. It, and it's just because I feel really comfortable with him. Yeah. I know that he's going to get the beats the right way, right. and he's going to use his kind of director's eye to guide the camera the best way. I, I'm not an artist. Like, I mean, yeah. I can probably break it down, and it'll be serviceable, but he's the artist, so I want him to, like, stretch that muscle. But, but so, I'm very interested in that. Yeah, yeah. When you just say the Marvel way, I, I, what does that mean in terms of, like, maybe Yeah, I mean, it's a else. historical term. It just means, you know, when Stan and, and Jack Kirby and all these kind of iconic Marvel artists were working in the early days of Marvel, Stan didn't have time to script everything out. So he'd write, like, a two-paragraph plot, hand it to Jack Kirby or John Romita, and they would draw the entire comic. And then, in the you know, for the purposes of time, he'd come back and just add the script. Wow. But, I mean, when you're working with Jack Kirby, you want him to decide what the book looks like. Absolutely. You don't need a micromanager. No, no. And so, <laughs> with George, it's like he's so good at camera angles and dynamic art that I don't need to tell him, like, focus, zoom in on her. Like, he'll know, like, this is a beat that needs to focus on that. So. Yeah. You know, it's... It, I, it just makes me think about... I, I've done a little comic writing myself, right. and, I, and I know that, you know, they kind of teach you this is how you should do it. So it's kind of interesting that you can work with an artist that's just like, oh, just do that, you know, do what you got to do. And yeah, no, and it's it's good because it, it lets Monica and I focus on the big beats, like, what are the moment? Like, if we really need him to do something, we'll specify it, like, hey, this page really... And I'll send him reference, like, from other stuff that I think would work well, so... Okay. Yeah, Okay. so it's really a cool collaboration. So when you... Uh, did you pitch him as well as a it sounds like you came up with the idea and you had to look for an artist. Did you sort of email him out or did you um, already know? Yeah, Monica and I had the pitch and the kind of rough character breakdown and, and not maybe not the full plot, but we knew where it was going and then we started looking for artists. And okay. uh, We actually okay. had an artist locked in for this, but for whatever reason they couldn't make it happen. So we were scrambling a little right. bit and then George, I always joke that George kind of fell from the heavens. Like we needed an artist <laughs> and he was exactly what we wanted because right. it wasn't like your typical noir yeah. right. take. So, okay. Yeah. That's always in that's always interesting. So as a as an up and coming uh, creator who wants to do this type of stuff, are there any tips that you want you can give them in terms of uh, at least working with Comicsology? Uh -huh. uh, with Comicsology, I think your best bet is you know Comicsology has a great submit platform where if your book is done, you can submit it and it will be on Comicsology. Okay. So that's something that's really useful, I think, to people that are just want to have a comic exist and have that out there. Um, my best advice to people creatively is do the work, mm. create mm. the story that only the story that only you can tell and the story that you want to read that doesn't exist like I write novels of a Cuban American private eye in Miami where I'm from yep. and that's really because I wanted to read that book and nobody was writing it so right. I said you know in the hubris of youth I was like I'm going to do it right. and then I ended up doing it and right. so I think find the story you want to tell and do that um, I also want to talk about um, the, the Cuban aspect yeah um, because obviously you know Latino Latinx representation are not where we would like to be. Yeah, it's very true. Um, is that is that part of your goal to sort of really push the uh, really push? I don't want to say the limit, but sort of push the envelope when it comes to representation in your writing. Yeah, I just want to show that these obviously these people exist and people that maybe don't have them in the day to day. Like yeah. in Miami, when I grew up, everyone was Cuban, so yeah. it was like this feeling of like Cuba's everywhere. And then I moved to New York, and it became it was it's a melting pot, but it was different. Yeah, you know, there was a dynamic that I didn't. 
you know, some people see early on. I didn't really experience until I was much older. Um, but the idea is to present diversity in a way that is just the way things are. Yeah. You know, she is Cuban. Yeah. It's not like it's not a story about her wearing a Cuban flag and being like, I'm Cuba woman. You know, like it's not hammered home. Right. It's just part of the fabric of the story. Right. And that's the way my novels are too. Like everything is just there. And you have to kind of, you embrace it and feel the texture of the culture and, and understand that just because it's different doesn't mean it's anything else. It's just something else. Right. So you're not necessarily doing diversity for diversity's sake. It's just because it's there. Yeah. And I've happened to, cho I've chosen this story. I've chosen this character. And I want to do it because it's important to me to see characters like me and people like me yes. out there yes. in prominent roles because I need, we need more of that for, you know, not just Cubans, but everybody, yeah. you know, yeah. we live in a really diverse world Absolutely. and it, it shouldn't just be one way. So for, for this story, for, for Black Ghost, is this an ongoing series or do you see this being like a limited or a maxi series? Uh, we've got five issues for the first arc and we definitely have ideas for more. So I think you'll see more. Hopefully. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I could keep do writing it forever. <laughs> yeah. you know, got, That's the dream. Yeah, That's exactly. Dream. Yeah. If I could keep going forever, I would. Yeah. Okay. Well, this sounds very interesting. Awesome. I hope so, you like it. Oh, I, I fully intend on, on downloading that. Yeah, if you're on Comixology Unlimited or if you just Absolutely. want to buy the issue, it's there. Yeah. Comixology is a dream for me. For sure. Uh, it's, I, I grew up with comic books. So, yeah. uh, you know, I like to read them, you know, the, the book format. But it's also hard because as you get older, yeah, you, you have don't have less as much space. space. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially when we have two young kids, so it's like, oh, yeah, you know the drill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as much as I would love to add to the boxes and boxes of comic books, I can't. Right. So Comixology has been great. Right. So where can people find you on social media if you are on social media? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Alex underscore Segura, S-E-G-U-R-A, and my website is alexsegura.com. Cool. Awesome. This was a pleasure. Yeah, always Thank good. You so much. Thanks. Thank you. What up, y'all? Uh, this is Anthony Otero, a.k.a. Latin Negro, representing Black Comics Chat. And I have some great guests, um, Vita Ayala and Danny Bohr. They are the co-creators, co-writers, creators of Quarter Killer. Yeah, uh, we are co-writing the series. We came up with it together. And then Jamie, who's unfortunately not able to be here as our third co-creator yep. on the book. Okay. So tell us all about Quarter Killers. What are we getting into? What is it about? Uh, so Quarter Killer um, is very much a cyberpunk Robin Hood heavily influenced by uh, retro gaming and hip hop. Oh. Yep. Uh, QK, uh, who uses uh, they them pronouns, uh, they are non-binary. Um, they, um, they will basically save the day um, if you can uh, pay them in quarters. Uh, using quarters because they are an untraceable um, currency in the future also allows them to play pinball and call their mama on the payphone. Importantly, call their mama on the payphone. Very importantly. <laughs> um, so it's, it's very, very kinetic. It's a dynamic kind of cyberpunk series. We focus a lot on trying to bring kind of hip hop into cyberpunk, mm. but it's not, no, no, there was no hard part about that. It right. seems right at home yeah. in cyberpunk. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to do something where we would give people kind of, not one and done adventures, but, but basically like each issue would be its own kind of adventure, but you could see a larger arc forming, mm. but you could just pick up whichever one you wanted and read it. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's a great cast of characters. Uh, the first issue, which is out now on Comixology, uh, is uh, 
the intro issue follows this kid named Aya who's looking for the quarter killer because mm. she has a problem and she needs help. And she knows that if she finds him, then everything's going to be okay. Awesome. Awesome. This, this sounds great. So what, what came up? How did you come up with this concept? Um, so you put me and Danny in a room together. Uh, but like, really, um, one of the really uh, kind of cool things, um, both about everything we're working on now, but particularly this year, is December uh, actually marks a decade of friendship for us. Like, literally, we oh, met awesome. um, at uh, Forbidden Planet in Union Square. Um, yep. Uh, yep. Where uh, Vita had already been working. Um, <clears throat> By the way, our boss wants to point out that technically I've worked there longer consecutively than you. Even That's true. That's <laughs> even true. Even though you probably worked there longer in general. No, I only no. hit 10 years there. <laughs> um, but it was like, it was like, you know, I would go in and then come out and then go in. I'd stay for two years and then leave for like a couple of months and then come back. It was like, I, it was like recidivism. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. are you out now? Yeah, I'm out. Nah, they got me again. They got me again. Um, but... Um, we were kind of, uh, and kind of have always been almost from like with the week that we met each other before we met each other, because everyone kept calling me Vita. <laughs> so real quick, not to get too much into it, but we're both Brown <laughs> and no. we both wear glasses. Uh, to be fair, our hair was very different. It was similar to each other's at the time, kind of, but so like. I left the store to go to school, and my sister, who's working there, was like, "This will not stand." And then Danny came in. I just rolled in one day, like, "Can I?" And they, and literally, I remember her basically forcing our boss to interview me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. And so um, there it was. And so people kept telling me, "Oh, there's this new cat, Vita 2.0." But I was like, "There's only one. It. There's only one. That's it." So like, we were either gonna be like best friends or like fight. Like there was yeah, no. Yeah, we it's. I definitely imagined like this was. God, yeah. So 2009, so I walked in ready to like that Kill Bill noise. I was yeah, like, let's go. Woo! Yep, yep. And I remember I pointed. I was at the register. Yeah, I pointed at them. I'm like, you. And I just point back. I'm like, you. And I don't remember which. It was probably you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I was like, I what, was like one of us went. So which one of us has the Mirrorverse oh, mustache? me. I definitely said that. <laughs> and it's also me. Mirrorverse uh, <laughs> But uh, so we were like very often like a team on the floor. Like I'd be processing books. Vita would be putting them away, you know, tag team on recommendations, that kind of thing. This was just one of those ideas that was literally us goofing, goofing around. It was just probably Vita slamming their hand down on the counter. Like what if, you know, <laughs> like what if this dude... Like did crimes for good and got paid in quarters. It was like it was literally that. It was literally that was the original concept. Was just like quarters to call their mama. Like yeah. that was, which is important because again, yep. if we come if from you some ever, kind of community, <laughs> if you've ever met our mamas, <laughs> and and to be, I mean, slightly more serious, yeah. but not really more serious. Um, the two of us are heavily influenced by science fiction and noir and you know traditional cyberpunk. It's something that we connected to because and, and we could talk about this all day but like one of the features of cyberpunk is that it is heavily about class and about you know fighting oppression mm -hmm. and using the tools of the oppressor to fight them and it also like often either the main character is of color usually japanese or some mixture of, J of japanese and something else or at least the people around the main character mm -hmm. are pretty much all of color and, and kind of you know, struggling, and so that was always something that appealed to us individually, and when we met, um, it just became very clear that even though, 
you know, some of our experiences were very different. We had this in common. And so it was really easy to go, well, this slots perfectly into a world where, you know, like kids from the hood are jacking like tech from the like, you know, that fell off of a truck and making their own like yeah, yeah, cool yeah, like yeah, technology yeah. to use. And I was like, oh, well, then this is it. Yeah, for uh, very strongly for me, like, again, giant, you know, cyberpunk influence, William Gibson and stuff like that. But one of my big inspirations, like just across the board writing, um, is the uh, 1970s blackout in the Bronx mm. and the reaction of stealing the equipment and yeah. making a genre, making not making more than a genre, making an entire new culture yeah. because of one night that electricity went wrong and it allowed them access to technology that they would not have otherwise had yeah. access to and yeah. that's so cyberpunk to me yes. and that's you know several years before like we actually date cyberpunk is existing like the bronx was doing that it harlem was <laughs> harlem was doing that it you know and so it was very important for yeah. us i only 20% jokingly, I'm just like, this is really a swagger punk book. Like, it's it a, is it's, a swagger punk. Like, yeah, like this, this is about, um, you know, everything that Vita was talking about, but specifically the future in which the neighborhoods we live in still exist mm -hmm. and what they become. So I grew up in the Lower East Side. Um, I grew up, it was mostly brown. It was a bunch of Puerto Ricans, Korean people, Indian folk. Manhattanville projects. Folk, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like Alphabet City is where yeah. I'm from. Yeah. Um, the New Yorkian cafes down there. My yep. parents are both Puerto Rican. My mom came from the island. It's like our people have always come together as a community and made a kind of new community, but also like you take what the scraps are and you make something better than than the shiny new thing. Like yep. that's what you do. Absolutely. And not just with technology, but that's that's what our culture is, taking the little that we can and making it into something great. And so we thought, let's do that but fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's not make it so like so many stories about like cyberpunk is is a subsection of noir, so it's really gritty and dark and sad, but also like a lot of stories where we talk about the struggle as brown folk end up being sad yeah. because it's yeah. rough, it's rough. Yeah. Um, but what if we could also tell those stories and go, but we have joy and this is what our joy looks like and we won't just give you the sad stuff because that's what you're, what you find, you know, like legitimate. No, like we're doing it, but we're doing it with a smile. <laughs> like, and that's and that's definitely one of the ways that like Jamie Jones in particular mm -hmm. affects this book because oh, what he does in I mean like just action alone, like kind of like his energy brings so much joy, but um also then his colors. Mm. You know? Oh, yeah. There's another version of this book where someone didn't bring like bring the fire like that, you know, like someone didn't bring his like his sense of patterning his sense of, of bright colors and and neon in the way that he does who like who didn't bring humor into like the facial expressions mm. you know like uh That's he's actually him, yeah. um in the first issue you meet the character high top he's my favorite. which we always knew i mean you hear his name like he was always going to have a high top fade but what jamie did his actual his name when it was first conceived of was high top fade but what he does with high top hair is just he brought it literally to another level not just height but like literally put circuitry and colors and oh, lights wow. into it and, this and I'm a, like that's that's 
the most amazing hood thing I've ever seen. He, Jamie, for many reasons, is a genius. But one of the things that Jamie finds very important is being as authentic as possible yeah. while still having a part of himself in the book. And so, like, we'll give him things like we have a lot of references because we are telling the story from our perspective and then he's like yeah all right i'm gonna do that but let me remix this a little bit let me do it like this and we're like oh yeah why would clearly just don't listen to anything we yeah, just said just like this is fine um and he does a lot of work a lot of research um and not just into kind of the influences that we're bringing him um but also into things like how to do a color palette for a primarily brown book mm. which is something that not everyone does in advance like sometimes like a, you know you think it's gonna work and then you learn on the job right but he spent a lot of time going all right i'm gonna use all of these neons in the you know in this color palette what does that mean for the skin tones what does that mean for you know shadowing what does that mean um and one of the things he said um on a podcast that we did was um i wanted it to read that even if you saw it in black and white you knew that yeah. they were brown you knew that they were yeah, like yeah. you knew who they were um and that to me like we i could talk about him forever he's an incredible artist but to me that thoughtfulness he puts that into every part of his work the line work the color work the you know readability of the book mm -hmm. it's it's incredible working with jamie yeah wow <laughs> well i certainly want to uh pick it up um is this now, this is for Comixology? Yes. Yes. How is it with working with Comixology as opposed to any of the other? It's real great. It's really, like, it makes me nervous because they're very supportive. <laughs> like, they have notes sometimes, but honestly, for the most part, they're like, do what you do. We we brought you on because we trust you. And I'm like, okay. Oh, you trust? <laughs> okay. Are you sure? Yeah. Like, I've never, like... In terms of editors, I've always worked with supportive editors, so yes, I'm going to yeah. preface this by that. But yeah. I've never had this much support or my own vision from a publisher in general before. Mm -hmm. um, and that's saying something because I've worked with some publishers that are incredibly like supportive. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is like, they, they give you... Once they accept your story and once you go through the dev process, they're like, here are the keys you are an adult <laughs> you know this is your this is your thing so and it's it's been i mean this is already i mean obviously from conception forward like a dream book you know yeah. i'm literally working on the first story idea i ever had with my best friend with one of in my opinion, one of the best artists out there right now. He's and perfect. then with Ryan Ferrer on, oh my God. on letters who like literally, I, so like <laughs> <laughs> Ryan is always, he's an incredible writer as well. Um, I had no idea how good he was at design until I was talking to Jamie about letters for the book. And he was like, we gotta get Ryan, like this is it. I was like, yeah, but like, he's like, no, 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 no. trust me. Me and Ryan have worked together, let's yeah. do this. And like, that's why, Ryan lettered the first issue, and it was really dope. Super readable. I really, I love just the really nitty gritty technical stuff that he does, and he's designing the book too. Like the positioning. Like, yeah, like he's he's so good. And then I was like, hey man, 
let's do something like a little weird, totally cool if you don't want to, but like, what about making the sound effects into like graffiti? Like, that'd be cool. That's very this book. We want to bring that influence at all levels. And he was like, oh, I got you. And then less than 24 hours, he flips a new version and we're just like, it's perfect. You literally don't need to change anything. Like, this is, this is the perfect version of this book. It, he's so good. And not only did he do graffiti, right? So that's, that could be anything. Right, right. <laughs> he chose different styles of graffiti for different kinds of mm. of the sound effects. So, like, mm. the cars versus something being hit versus, like, you know, when you make mm. a silly, like, sound yeah. effect. Incredible. Incredible. Um, and then he's designing the book itself, and he did the title page. And the title page, we were like, make it, like, like a CD. Like, like a mixtape. Like a mixtape. Can you do that? Awesome. And he came back, and I was like... Okay. Cool. <laughs> cool. 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 Do you need us on this book at all? <laughs> yeah. I'm just like I think. You know, but it's like it's really been a dream book already, and then to have the freedom, like, as as brown creators, some, it's really scary to put yourself out there in the particular way that this book puts us out there, mm-hmm. and to have the sort of support that Comicsology has given us from the start is really unbelievable um, in like a really like kind of powerful way. It's like, okay, so, you know, we're doing this. <laughs> I, I'm very grateful that all of my creator-owned projects I've been able to have like full control. Um, and each one is special in its own way. This one also is particularly cool because we're doing a cyberpunk book and it's digital. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which makes it yeah. cheaper, which yeah. makes it much yeah. more accessible to mm-hmm. the people that we want to read the book as well as anyone else that wants to read the book. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, I was actually comparing it the other day to the first thing I did when I first got a digital e-reader was purchase a copy of Neuromancer by William Gibson and have, make myself have the experience of reading this cyberpunk book on a, in a digital form and like how important that was like and for me like that's one of the cool things about quarter killer reading this book that's very much about technology about our relationship to technology uh and getting it not only digital but the way that um that paneling works when you're doing comicsology very reading different. and being able and like designing a story for that uh, and how the panels flow into each other both as a full page and as individual panels. Right, they have a guided view kind of feature on Comixology which is really cool so it goes panel by panel so Jamie's also thinking about that as he's creating. As he's drawing traditionally I just also. Yeah he so he he draws traditionally and then scans and does colors digitally which is super cool uh it is the yeah like he does a lot of mixed media stuff he'll do collaging for like patterns and stuff which is really cool yeah this guy's uh this guy's real good i wanted to work with him before everyone stole him from him so um really quick too so neuromancer is one of danny's favorite books of all time um that is that is their go-to cyberpunk book and mine is uh, snow crash uh, which, which says is, everything about yes, us. Yes, that is that is how this team works. <laughs> we have we have the Neuromancer and we have the Snow Crash book. Um, but also we wanted to like we bring in a lot of influences um, and represent not representation but like things that we saw ourselves in into this book as well. And I just wanted to point out that Jamie also does a lot of that too. And it's funny because that's another place where we all cross over. Um, um, you know, we're all big video game heads. We're mm. all like into that kind of sci-fi stuff because that those are the stories that I think are 
completely universal while still being able to be rooted in a specific culture. It's it's really nice being able for a whole team to do a note that I think that, you know, like my inspiration for this was this, you know, Sega Genesis game, this NES game, and we're all like, okay, good, dope, we know what that means. Like, yeah. it's, it's literally been like, like a team language for us yeah. to be able like this is the game I'm thinking of while doing this page and then like <laughs> and my wife is editing a book uh, and she does not play video games at all she never did she grew up in you know Northern California Santa Cruz playing in the woods I guess they had redwoods so that's cool <laughs> um, so she's actually like it's a whole new like every time she reads it she's like i don't understand this but it seems very cool and then she'll see it like yeah. she'll see the full product and go wow like the way that that comes together is so cool so it's it's something that's approachable to people even who don't have the same language which is kind of like why i love genre fiction so much you don't have to know all the nitty-gritty to feel like you have a place and that's really what we and that was also super important to uh, uh like so i also do um pro short stories and things like that um and I mean, I get it a bit, there's a bit of it in comics, but especially in prose, you get the response of, I didn't get this voice. Uh, I didn't understand where this story was coming from. And often that's coded language for this being a very brown story. Yeah, this is very brown. Uh, and so it was really important to us. It's like, nah, you can get this story. Yeah, like this is, this is, this is like, you know, proof of concept that like, this is a, a story that like has a million and one references. Whether or not you get them, you understand what the story is doing. Right. This is an unapologetically like <laughs> black and brown book. Right. Um, but also, it is. That's not. We're not. That's not off-putting. It's no more off-putting than going to see Star Wars: A New Hope. Nary, nary a, a brown. <laughs> that whole movie. But that was growing the up. That was movie. You know, <laughs> yeah. growing up. Well, actually, Empire is my favorite because because um, you're. But, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. those are approachable. Yeah. And universal. Yep. Nary a brown person in the movies. <laughs> All right. And we want. We have but some we want... darker shaded sand in there. Yeah. On, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. The For landscapes. Sure. Yeah, sometimes yeah. the lens is dirty. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you have, you're coming from a world with two sons and there's no brown people. Okay. Not, uh, not, not even like a but Middle also Eastern no person. I, like, I don't. Person. Yeah, well, they got really good sunblock out there. There's Tuscan no, sunblock. <laughs> there's no way Luke is sitting there like, imagine imagine that part of the monologue at the beginning. That like his, like when his aunt and uncle are complaining at him to like go like uh, to the shop. Did you put sunscreen on? Yes. Yes, Auntie. How awesome would that have been? Real good. That's what we call world building. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but in all seriousness, <laughs> we want we want to tell a story that is unapologetically from our perspective, but also welcome people in and go, this is this is what you're missing when you're saying that you don't understand and don't want to. You're missing all this fun. Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about the video games that yeah. sort of um, inspired this. So, and you, you, you said some, some stuff. I just want to You want to of, talk about video games? Yeah, let's oh, expand a little bit about can I, the video Can I game. give away, like, give away a little I think sneak first, peek? Yeah. Uh, so the third cover of the book, I'm going to give this away. They're going to yell at me later. But, you know, beg forgiveness, not asking, mm -hmm. asking for permission. Uh, so the third, each cover of the book is a, is a singular character from the story yep. um, of the main crew. It's crew with a K. <laughs> this one's three, right? Yes. So the third cover is High Top, my son, 
my good son. And the circuitry in his hair in this cover is the actual circuit board from Sonic and Knuckles, which is wow. real good. So Jamie went out and was like, I found this. <laughs> and now I'm going to draw it. Uh, uh, but, like, that's the sort of stuff, like, we're doing. And, like, video games are, for me, they earn the DNA. Mm. Like... Mm-hmm. I I have a very s- strong memory of not just playing like there was a lot of Sonic influence for me when I was writing yeah, this, sure. the scripts. I think so, I literally wrote Sonic Spinball in like all caps, and then oh yeah, the third issue yeah. I was like Casino Zone. <laughs> Do this. Um, Listen to this song on loop while you're drawing this. Jamie oh was like, God. Oh God, please stop. That's hilarious. Um, uh, and you will see the moment where he really drives that home, and it's one of my favorite pages that he's drawn. It's really good. But like. For me, they've always been... Uh, I'm a very anxious person and have a lot of uh, attention issues. And for me, video games were that thing... Were like, is even still, are the one thing that can both focus my brain, but also I have something to do with my hands. Mm. So they've always been very critically important to me when I am super stressed or, like, anxiety attacks. Like, it's literally, like, I will just put on... I mean, recently it's been just... Yakuza and that Final Fantasy VIII remake because Final Fantasy VIII was like my first mm. was that that wasn't my first game but that was the game that locked in video games for my life mm. like that whole thing and um, I mean I we didn't have a lot growing up like my mom made sure that we never knew yeah. that she had to skip lunch sometimes yeah. right. um, but one of the things that like she would do was like she'd save up money and we'd get a console like every couple of years until my brother could afford his own and then he bought every console um, but I remember getting that Nintendo the NES system and I remember opening it up and like that changed the actual fabric of how our family worked like that was something like me and my brother up until we were teenagers were like mortal enemies <laughs> like but we could come together and play that quietly yeah. and play together yeah. and like it was just something that was so important that even still to this day we're actually he's one of my best friends um but we're able to communicate via that and that's almost been an excuse to hang out where it's yeah. like yeah, yeah no we're just gonna play video games or right, yeah. anyway how's your life like what's yeah. going on yeah me um, me and my sister did uh, me and my sister were you know were pretty close growing up but like it was really weird. We did the same thing, but, like, only with single-player games. Like, mm. we were big JRPG people mm-hmm. for, like, our whole lives. So, like, 8 was my first Final Fantasy, for example, but she played 7 to, like... She knows... I think my sister still knows the strategy guide yeah, for both of those by heart. Like, I've literally called her up just, like, how do I... Where do I find this thing again? Yeah. Um, All right, so you're going to take a left. And, yeah, and it was yeah. very interesting for me because, like, I was a Sony... Sony Sega person pretty much exclusively growing up. Uh, my wife was a Nintendo person. So in the past couple of years, we actually went and bought some retro systems. Like, and I've been playing through, or like, so we have like the SNES, like those retro ones that play all the games. Uh, got her uh, a Pikachu N64 because she loves it. And I just watch her play. So like, I had seen like all the Legends of Zelda stuff and things like that, but I'm watching her play it for like the first time yeah. these past few years, yeah. having always been a video game head, but like that just not being my world. And like, yeah. well, sometimes all- you had to choose. You yeah. To- so like that was how our house was divided. Was like yeah. I got this like the PlayStation. Yeah. And my brother got like you know the 64 and the, like. Whatever. Yeah, like I had the I had like the Nintendo handhelds because I buy they're very expensive pokemon systems i just buy them for pokemon when i need to but like all of that like there was so much sitting and just listening to video game soundtracks for this uh like uh, virtually i don't think that there's a a scene in in here like in here that like i i put my hands on that i wasn't listening to a soundtrack or i wasn't coming off of being like 
oh, yo, I just replayed this favorite part of my game and I want to play, uh, pay tribute to it. It's like, it's literally all video game soundtracks or like Wu-Tang and Busta. Like that's literally all I was listening to making these. Gotta do it. Um, sometimes just One of my brothers is, uh, produces music and I really, he actually produced a track for us for this, like yeah. a theme song called Dip Switch, which is very good. Um, but I kind of want to like harass him into doing like a mashup of like some like Wu-Tang and like video game stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, it's if you read the book, Jamie also put so much stuff in there. There's a in the first issue, in the fight scene, uh, there's a bunch of panels in the back that he wrote like a bunch of or drew video game stuff. And one of them, the first one says, "Go home and be a family man." And I was like, "Is this? This can't be." And he's like, "Yeah, this guy." <laughs> he's like, "That's the best one I've ever heard in my life." And I was like, "That's real good." One of my it favorite just starts from there. Like one of my favorite recent things that happened was uh, so we did a short, uh, and I think we're gonna do it for each issue, uh, a short playlist yes. for yeah, each yeah, yeah. issue. Absolutely. Oh, that's um, and so uh, we each picked a few songs, and it was hysterical because like we didn't really discuss aside from like a couple of songs like what we were all listening to during it and we all apparently wanted to put the same Kid Cudi song on it yes. but like Vita listed it first so me and Jamie were like I guess we don't have to like yeah. that's fine <laughs> like, um, Kid Cudi also in my mind very much influences how I write QK in particular yeah so like I think that Kid Cudi is one of the coolest Motherfuckers, <laughs> just that um, it's just like that chill and that smile. Like, and brother, that was also, brother is also you know black and Mexican, which yeah. people forget about. We've had discussions yep. about forgetting about the yep. like Latinx part of Afro Latinx. I'm yep. like, you gotta really like. I'm not saying that QK is because we have not revealed the full patronage of our hero. Um, but what cool. I am saying is that like when you live in a neighborhood with a bunch of different kinds of folks, it all kind of fuses all, together. Um, and so whenever I like, I'm writing QK, I'm like, they just kick Cuddy. Like, that's just who they are. It's the second character I've, I've slightly based on Kid Cuddy. Well, I mean, like, for me, it was also so important, like, QK is, like, a chill dude, but we didn't want to make him a cold, like, like make them a cold dude, you know? Like, that was yeah, really no, important. Definitely. Because I think that when you hear about a character like QK, that, and, like, we sort of played with that in the first issue, like, intentionally, that uh, you have a very specific idea of who that character is supposed to be, that that character is supposed to be John Wick at their worst, you know? Um, which I love John Wick, don't yep. get me wrong, but, like, it was really important. It's like, but, nah, this is about, like, like brown community and, like, that, that doesn't fly. Family. Like, QK's mama would beat his ass, would beat their ass if they were like that, you know? Like, mm -hmm. and QK's it's... A, QK intentionally left a cushy job working for a tech company to come back to the hood and help his own community or their own community rather and so what was important to kind of show about them even in their everyday was like that's what they're about and so you can't do that and have the character be cold and distant. You have to have a warm character, but you can still be cool if you want. Of course. Like that cool older cousin, you were like, oh, I can't even hang out with them. <laughs> Which was also why we decided that they were going to be um, married. Because, mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. look. Are we spoiling this? Can we spoil this? About the, all right, so like. <laughs> well, this, this will go on Patreon, so. Yeah. All right, yeah, okay, excellent. cool. Okay. It's not a super spoiler. All right, so like. They're married. That's not a secret. That's in the first issue. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, this is kind of a spoiler. Low tech is amazing. So yeah, their their husband is named Low Tech, and Low Tech yes. looks like Henry Rollins with hair. Basically, this was the second idea that we came. I up love with. Henry Rollins as an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Ever since uh, Def Jam Fight for New York. Oh yeah. <laughs> he was like oh the my trainer. God. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's my man. That's my man. So Low Tech. So Low Tech. Low Tech. 
and High Top are twins, which you could not ever see because because High Top is based off Chris Tucker. Yeah, so it's Henry <laughs> Rollins and Chris Tucker is twins. Oh wow! Um, so Low Tech is just a tiny grumpy Henry Rollins, and that's who QK is married. And if that's not the cutest thing that you've ever heard, then I just don't understand. <laughs> that's just that's awesome. That's just what it is. Um, yeah, I love this cast of characters. Also, one of the things that I wanted to do with Low Tech was show that like black people come in different colors. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he's, I mean, he's, they're, him and, uh, and uh, High Top are, bi like, they're biracial. They're black and white. But, like, sometimes that happens. Sometimes yep. you have, like, a very dark, yep. you know, sibling and a very light sibling. I have blonde, blue-eyed cousins. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, um, I feel like I took up a lot of your time. This was so fun. This was fun, yeah. <laughs> It's always a pleasure. It's always, to you. always. So um, before we uh, before we sort of end this, let us know where they can find you on social media. Uh, so you can find me at. Uh... <laughs> oh right, you can find me, Danny, Danny Lore, I guess. Uh, pretty much, pretty much exclusively on uh, Twitter. Although uh, I use this uh, tag name on like Instagram too. If occasionally you want to see cats. Um, <laughs> Were dogs, W E R E D A W G Z, mm -hmm. because I have a werewolf brand to maintain. That is never changing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> when you first changed your handle, <laughs> I was very concerned, but it is so good. Uh, and you can find me, Vida Ayala, on Twitter at any time. I've actually integrated Twitter into my brain. Uh, it's real wild. That's why I'm the way that I am. Uh, definitely Vita and I'm also on Instagram with that and I do use blockchain uh, so if you find yourself blocked it's probably not personal on Twitter it's for my own like protection and mental health uh, but my Instagram's open so All right. say, hey please pick up uh, QK on Comixology right now thank you so much thank you uh, this has been Black's Comic Chat and uh, we'll catch you on the other side peace uh, so <laughs> Black comics, Black chat. comics, Black chat. comics chat.